welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. There is a contested race in the Fisher City Council 2019 Republican primary for the Southeast District seat. Paula Hudgel is challenging incumbent Pete Peterson. I spoke with Paula Hudgel during the morning of Thursday, March 14th. I'm at the Hamilton East Public Library at the Municipal Complex in Fishers. I would urge you to visit uh, the area where we are recording this podcast today. It's the Ignite Space. It's, it's an outstanding facility for any kind of artist. Artistic supplies are everywhere. They have a 3D printer here. And where we are recording is in the AV studio, which is for audio and, and video production and recording. So if you'd like to have uh, just a tour of the Ignite space, the librarians would be glad to do that here. It's in the lower level of the library. Just look for the signs. It's the Ignite space at the Hamilton East Library in Fishers. My guest today is Paula Hugel. Paula Hugel is a candidate for Fishers City Council, Southeast District. Her last name is spelled H-U-G-H-E-L, but she pronounces it Hudgel, correct? Correct. Paula Hudgel, welcome. Good to have you with Thank us. Thank you. Thank first, you, Larry. First time we've had a chance to talk to you on a podcast. I know you've been active at the precinct level of politics, but this is the first uh, opportunity for you to compete at a level above that. So since uh, you are a fairly new political candidate, at least at this level, um, just take a, a couple of minutes and, and tell, talk about yourself. Tell us about you. Okay. Well, Larry, I was um, born in South Bend, Indiana and raised in an impoverished Christian family. Um, my father had a near-fatal accident when he was um, working at his own business and was blinded by that. So I had to begin working at nine years old and mm-hmm. have worked ever since. Fortunately, there were a lot of Polish clubs where, near where I lived, and so they could hire underage people because they just paid you cash and you just did dishes and served food. So I continued working ever since then, um, graduated from high school, um, went to Ball State University, uh, during my end of my sophomore year, going into my junior year, I was fortunate enough to um, be um, one of the first to begin a co-op education program with Delco Ramey, Division General Motors. And that's kind of how my work career started. Oh, Delco Ramey. So you, were you working uh, – what part of, of the facility in Indiana were you working for? Uh, well, I worked at all of the plants in oh. Anderson okay, and then many other of the other facilities – I actually worked at five different states and physically moved 11 times, which is why I haven't been in Fishers for a while. This is the longest I've lived anywhere. Which is how long? 16 years. Oh, 16 years. Uh, other than my birth town. Sure. Understood. So go ahead. Anything else you want to add about sure. yourself? Sure. Um, I've been married for uh, 26 years. I have two uh, wonderful young gentlemen, uh, 18 and 25, and they're both Eagle Scouts, um, which kind of leads into the next uh, segue is um, I've been a scout leader uh, with Boy Scouts of America for over 18 years. Um, the last seven, I was a scoutmaster for our troop. Um, so I really understand service and dedication and just the willingness to help other people. is so fascinating to watch these young boys turn into men. Um, after that, um, I've been involved in public service for 11 years, um, most of it here in um, Fishers. I've been an inspector for 11 years. Um, I've also I've been a precinct commitment, as you know, and um, just active with other different uh, groups. 
Okay, very good. So I guess the next question is, you know, a uh, pretty, pretty uh, general one, but uh, you have been involved in politics at the grassroots level. What uh, motivated you to become a candidate for Fisher City Council? Well, several things. Um, when I worked in Missouri, um, we, we had a very devoted um, plant manager, and he wanted us all to get involved in the communities. So uh, they sponsored me to go through what, what they called Vision West for Wentzville, that part of, the, of uh, Missouri. And afterwards, you have to do something with what you've learned and, and the people you've met. So I started with uh, the cooperation of the Wentzville School District, um, a program to work on school to work is how it started. Um, so I met with the Chamber of Commerce. We got other businesses involved. We created a plan, and we set up a structure so that um, in the middle age, they got to do um, surveys on themselves about what potential careers. You know, these are my likes, and that kind of led them to career choices. And then um, we would put on career fairs. So we would, you know, based on the feedback we've got from the surveys, we would bring in speakers and set up different rooms around the high school and uh, give them a chance to talk to these people. And then um, after that, if they wanted to follow suit, they could do school to work, job shadowing, co-op jobs. It was just amazing. Well, as you enter your campaign, the campaign's in full swing now. Um, Tell us what your major issues are in your campaign. Um, Well, the particular area that I um, represent as a precinct committeeman was one of them that was recently annexed by Fishers. So um, we have a lot of concerns. Um, as a precinct committeeman, I, I tried to help improve those. Um, we did get a few things corrected, but I, I learned um, very obviously that as a precinct committeeman, I cannot get the job done that the people in my community would like to see done. Was this the Geist annexation? Yes, it is. So were you in favor of or against the annexation at the time that the town officials at that time proposed that? Against it. Against it. Okay. So now that uh, so what you're saying is the transition is what you've you've worked on. So that was one. Any other issues that are important to you in this campaign? Well, safety is very important. Um, I had met uh, as again as a precinct commitment with the Geist Patrol um, quite frequently. Just you know, what, what's what are you guys seeing? You know, this is what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, and just trying to help focus on the things that we can do to truly improve the community. And there are several issues there that I, I will take up um, dealing with lighting, um, bus stop safety. There is none. There's no lighting where the buses stop on Fall Creek, which, as you know, is a main thoroughfare. So major, major concerns. We were able, through a petition, to get a stoplight put up at one of the busiest intersections, which has had the most accidents in the past year, seven in a year, same location. So those are all concerns. Um, The other biggest one, I've been meeting, obviously, with people within my district and also um, meeting with the homeowners associations and, you know, the police department. They're just asking, you know, what – what do we need to do? And when I attended my homeowners association, um, Masthead 1 and 2, they just admitted they have no involvement with the town of Fisher or city of Fishers, that they have no input when this whole annexation was going on, the, the bike trail. They knew nothing about it. So anytime they ask a question, the answer was, is we'll come to a meeting. And so they are very frustrated. And, and actually, the president called me the other day, Sunday at home, to talk about the concerns. President of the HOA. Yes. Okay. Uh, one issue that you raise on your website, mm-hmm. uh, your campaign website, is improving fiscal responsibility. Now, I guess my question to you on that is, is what is the current council doing that you feel would need improvement in the area of fiscal duties? Well, uh, the one thing that I would say is I, I'm not going to criticize what they've done. Um, but I would like to understand more. I, I have been going to meetings 
Um, now that I've announced my candidacy, I didn't want to go before because I hadn't made up my mind. <laughs> but uh, and I'm finding that there's a lot of frustration um, at the council meetings where people aren't feeling they're being represented and not getting the whole truth about expenses and you know what happens when this contract falls through and where does the money go and who makes the decisions and where did that come from? Kind of comments pretty consistently. So um, I really want to spend my time really digging into it and understanding. Um, you know, I, I, right now it's mostly opinions of what I'm hearing feedback on, but I want to seek the truth and find out what's really happening and, and maybe bring a new light to that. Because I'll ask questions just because some of it I don't know the answer. And maybe bringing up some of those questions might help other people understand. Well, after covering government finance for eight years here and several years before that, trying to understand government finances is not an easy thing to do. So uh, but so what you're saying is you really haven't had the chance to dig into it yourself, but you're you're in the process of doing that. Is that what I'm hearing you That's say? That's correct. I, I don't have enough to speak uh, okay. intelligently on it. Uh, you also raise the issue of information flow. Correct. Uh, you say two-way communication is needed, but let me give you an example there is a group of, of city councilors that recently announced uh, Council Connect. So they had their first Council Connect meeting. Uh, I was there as a reporter, but about six people were there. Almost all of them were political candidates or people running campaigns for political candidates. And that, unfortunately, happens too often. You know, the council says, we're having a meeting, come, come, and the mayor has done this in the past. Mm -hmm. Here's a meeting. Come talk to me. I'm glad to you know, discuss with you what your issues are, answer questions, or you know, follow up where I could. And people just don't seem to respond. So I guess my question to you is in light of what I've seen, and, and that specific example just really days ago, how would you uh, propose to improve communication? Um, well, I'll just give the most recent experience. The Homeowners Association, there are you know almost 1,500 people just in this one homeowner association, there were maybe 35, 40 people there. And um, they actually, you know, are asking us why. Well, because one, we don't know what's going to be on the agenda. Uh, two, because we don't feel like we're going to make a difference. And um, three, it's just, you know, not good communication. We feel like we're just, you know, talking to the wall. And I think if, if you would ask people like I have too about the council, they don't know what's on the agenda. Um, and if, if it's there, it's about a, a code number. You'd have to do an extensive amount of research to understand instead of saying it's about, well, for the trail, they did a really nice job. Mm -hmm. And they had a lot of people there, right? So I think if the people understand what the purpose of the meeting is and then what their input is, that they can speak. You get a minute and a half or three minutes. What I don't remember the exact. It's three. Three, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. um, but you get some time to speak, but they need to understand the rules going in. And I think they'll be less intimidated. It's very intimidating to go into a place like that. No, there's no question about that. I, I, I would, I wouldn't. I, I very rarely had to do it myself. So being a reporter watching it is one thing, but getting up there and speaking right. is is much a, a different matter. You've already touched on this, but another one of your issues, you call safety in the neighborhoods, and uh, you list it on your website. You've talked about it a little bit already mm -hmm. here. So I guess the the question I would ask, or, or and you've already touched, but you can go into some more detail here. What neighborhoods in your district are you concerned about in, in, in terms of safety and, and what specific safety issues 
are being raised by people that you've talked to in your district as you walk it and talk to people in campaign. Right. Well, uh, the biggest one, of course, is is uh, any neighborhood along Fall Creek Parkway because or Fall Creek Road, sorry, mm-hmm. um, because of the the speed, um, because of the darkness. There is absolutely no lighting. Um, again, the bus stops when they put in the bike path, they were going to take out all the pull-offs, which is where the buses pull over. And there's a lot of people that get lost around that road. So they come through the cul-de-sacs. Mm-hmm. And at first, the decision was, well, you don't need it. You only have eight people in, in your cul-de-sac. Well, there's probably 200 people that circle through that are lost every day. Mm-hmm. And, and when it's dark, I mean, you cannot see. Um, I, I've walked both of my sons to the bus stop until they were driving to school. Mm-hmm. That's how concerned. With a flashlight and waving my flashlight, cars go flying by the school buses. What I like to mm. see is a, at least one of those signs that flash or something, you know, school bus stop or at least a light. It doesn't have to be one of those huge old street lights. It can be the pretty ones like we have downtown or in the roundabouts or any of the new construction. Um, we're not asking it for throughout the neighborhoods, although I would like to see that. Initially, right now, we just need it at the intersections. You get people running at 4 you know, in the morning. It's still dark out. You can't see them. Um, and at the intersections uh, particularly. Well, I know that uh, uh, there's a serious statewide problem with people just not paying any attention to the school buses when they put that stop arm out. Mm-hmm. They just fly right by. And you know, state legislatures tried to, to deal with it with penalties, but I don't know if it's going to help or not. But you mentioned something else, people running. And there's, and there's a lot of people who do jog and, and walk and run early in the morning before they go to work, like in the Geist area right. on Fall Creek Road. Uh, is there really any way to keep them safe? Excuse me, is there really any way to keep them safe under these circumstances? What would you suggest? Well, what most of the intelligent ones do is they wear bright colors. Mm-hmm. Some of them wear headlights or some something else reflective. Um, but most of them wear a headlight or something on their arm just to show I'm here. But if you're drinking coffee and you're messing with your phone or anything else, you are so distracted you don't have time to respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen it in place. <laughs> and yeah, you think about Fall Creek Road. Maybe you want to talk about this. That's a, an example, and there are many examples of this, particularly on the east side of, of Fishers, uh-huh. where these roads were built for a, a farm community. I mean, I hate to say this, showing my age here, but I, my, my grandfather would take me out to the Geist area in the 60s, and uh, it was the country. It was nothing but farmland. And it was farmland. And if you look at Fall Creek Road, it's, it's, it's in better, a little bit better physical shape because it takes on a lot more traffic. But the design of most of that road really hasn't changed, has it? No, it has not. And, and, and what would you think needs to be done there? Well, I, I think part of the issue is um, the restrictions because of it's right up against the water in most cases. Um, you know, they've already claimed the right of way uh, for the most part um, where they can afford to, uh, because uh, you know there's some pretty serious drop-offs along the edges of the road, which is why we have all those rails along there um, to protect the people. But um, I think we need to look at the traffic patterns and maybe do – it doesn't have to be an expensive study. I mean, have a couple of people go out and stand on, on a corner or have you know, those counter cords you put on the ground to measure how many went by and what was their speed and all of that stuff. I think we just need to do a simple study just to pinpoint where the areas are. We need to take a look at the maps of how many accidents have we had here um, and, and pinpoint those first. And then I think we need to overall – and I, I've heard that um, – they are doing a very good job with planning for 20 years from now. But, um, you know, if you don't want to lose the people that are here today, we have to do something, you know, midterm as well. One, and you've touched on this in fiscal responsibility, but I'll, I'll ask you in a little different way. 
because, you know, one of the most important jobs a city councilor has, really in anywhere in the state of Indiana, the way the state laws are, are put together, is to review and approve the mayor's annual budget proposal. And I guess the question I would ask you is, as a city councilor, how would you approach the task of reviewing and voting on, on the mayor's annual budget? Well, actually, I, I would like to um, get more involved in the upfront planning of that. I, I think we need to take a different look at the way we spend our finances. As of now, we take, okay, we've got this much money in income coming in, so let's start that as our baseline. We can you know, spend up to that, and then is there more that we need to go raise? And at least that's my understanding of, of the way that occurs. Well, that's not quite accurate. What okay. happens is that the, the, the first phase is that the mayor talks to all of his department heads and gives them some guidelines, and they come back. You know, For instance, the police department says we really need more police officers. Or we, fire department says we're really to get, our, uh, to get where we need to be with the population we have. We need the, to have so many more firefighters. As an example, look, there are various departments. Okay. Then the mayor cuts it back or does what he feels needs to be done and then looks at it. Actually, you know, it's, it's interesting, and I didn't learn this until I'd covered government for a while, is that you really don't know what you're going to have till very late in the process. We can talk about income. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's usually not a good idea of that until all the assessed valuation is in, and that's at the county level. And the county, I think it's the uh, recorder or trade, I can't remember where it is, but it's one of the county offices, tells the cities and other taxing districts, okay, here's here's the assessed valuation, here's the money you're going to have. And there have been many, several years where there's, you know, a little bit more money than they thought they would have because the assessed valuation went up. So it's, it's uh, the, the city council uh, does get the mayor's proposal. That's the way it works. Mm-hmm. When you see that proposal, and knowing that there's some numbers that are not going to be final till later, but you have a pretty good idea where the, the money's going to come in, what would you be looking for as you review that budget? I would be looking for um, what are needs versus wants, um, because there's sometimes, you know, departments may say, well, I'd really like to have this. Well, then that should be put over in the really like to have, you know, this would help help for these reasons. And I, I think that each department should have to explain, you know, really what are they trying to achieve by, by making this addition or change or whatever it is they're trying to accomplish. Okay, so that's your basic guideline. Let me ask you this. Uh, the Parks Department always gets rave reviews from the public. Uh, and a lot of money is sunk into that. The mayor believes that's part of making, uh, putting together a, a community where people will want to live. And one of the biggest projects coming up on that scene is the Guys Park. Correct. Your views on what you've seen so far about the Guys Park. Well, the proposal that was published in the uh, Think Fishers um, was impressive. Um, the amount of money seems still a little exorbitant. Um, I'm not sure that I would move a covered bridge from another, I think, Johnson County or somewhere to give us a crosswalk. I believe the county's doing that. I could be wrong. Okay. But uh, there's, I think the county and the city are involved Okay, in they, they could be. I, and I, well, the Geist Park, I, I should be real clear here, the Geist Park is a county park. That's the one with that specific name. It's, right. it's along the creek, but it's not right on uh, Geist Reservoir. And, uh, and the, the other Geist Park, and there have been other names that have given to it, is the one the city is is uh, is proposing to put together. The the land has been acquired now. They're right. in the process of trying to plan that. The one so, along Oleo Road, right? Sure. And so your 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 view is that it's a very you like the plan so far, but you have. So what is it about the funding that concerns you? Uh, it's uh, pretty expensive um, for a park. I just think you know I'm sure they have other proposals that we can evaluate. How do okay? Is that really worth that much money? Um, is there another way we can do it? 
And again, the details haven't been rolled out to the public yet, so I'm not aware. I love the concept. It's beautiful. Um, I almost bought a house in the neighboring place behind IMI when I moved here 16 oh, years ago. <laughs> if only you'd made that decision. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't because of IMI. Well, yeah, I can understand that. Of course, they're as you all know, they're they're, they're out. They're 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 out. The city uh, went through a process to buy that. I'll yes. get into all that. That's all. That's yep. all over. Unless you want to make a comment nope. about that, but. Uh, Another area of, of city responsibility, and, and the council spends a decent amount of time on this, uh, planning, zoning, economic development, and just the city ordinances, which you may think are a small thing, but, you know, that's, that's, that's the traffic mm-hmm. uh, control, that's uh, noise ordinances, and they're always difficult to deal with. Just ask the lawyers about that. They'll tell you. Right. So when you look at those parts of, of, of uh, the responsibility of a city council. Of course, you're one of nine, but you do have a vote on that council. Uh, how would you approach that general area of city government? Um, well, first of all, I like to be involved in um, various committees that, uh, if I could, just so one to voice our concerns of that part of Fishers because um, we, we don't have a great lot of input or understanding. Um, and even if I don't... Um, uh, when the candidacy, then I'm still got to try and get onto the different boards and, and committees and be more active. So at least I can still um, get the voice of the community uh, interacted with that and let them know what I see is going on. Of course, the plan commission is one place, but that's an advisory uh, body, but there are three city council members. There really aren't that many standing committees. I think the, the council's kind of not wanted to to have too many, but there's one for nonprofit funding. There's one. There's a finance committee which mm-hmm. meet, meets once a month, and I, I tend to uh, to attend those because they're just for, you know that, I consider that part of city government very important. So there are some committees, but I think most members get involved as much as as they really want to get involved in sure. some of those committees. So are there any particular? I mean, like I know there's a nonprofit committee. There's the finance committee. And uh, there are three city council members, as it stands now, on the city plan commission. Anything amongst those that would interest you? Um, the city planning does, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, economic development would be a big one that I would like to get involved in. Um, I would like to understand the financing more. Um, and then the basically understand the ordinances better. As you know, the city of Fishers has been very active in economic development yes. for the last several years. And as I understand, the process changed dramatically from going from a town to a city because when we were a town, all seven town council members were briefed. And and even though there was a city manager who later became mayor, Scott Fadness, there was still uh, a requirement that that uh, town council buy into at least four of the seven votes uh, to, to pass anything that was agreed to. Now it's a little bit different as as a city because the mayor does the negotiating and then the city council gets the proposal once it's done. Correct. So how would when you see an economic development proposal and, and what incentives might be uh, embedded within that, how do you go about evaluating that? Well, first of all, I would um, like to make sure I get that communicated to the people in the community um, that elected me so that I represent their opinion. Um, one, I'd have to be able to pr- provide them with the facts and just this is it. This is what they're proposing. This is what it's got to cost us. You know, let me know ahead of time what concerns you have, and I can explain uh, that your your concerns, or I'll let you know and you can join me at the meeting and you can speak for yourself. 
So that that's pretty much your approach yes. to uh, economic development. Okay. I want to talk about a specific issue. Um, it was in 2016 that the city council approved uh, a wheel tax. Yes. For most vehicles, uh, it's $25. Uh, it was implemented in 2017. The money didn't all come in at once because you pay it as you get your um, renewal for your license plate each Correct. year. Uh, so it, it took a while for that to, to, to build up. But it generates roughly $2 million a year, and it's used to fund road improvement projects mm-hmm. and, you know, filling chuck holes and and, and re, there's like $1.3 million just approved recently by the Board of Works that's already part of the budget uh, to do resurfacing in a number of, of of neighborhoods here in Fishers. So I guess the first question I would ask you is if you had been on the council in 2016 and presented with uh, the wheel tax, would you have supported that? Um, I don't have enough information to be able to say if I would have or not. Um, what I would like to know, though, or would have liked to know, um, well, one, I know what they're going to do with it now. I didn't at the time. Um, we didn't hear a lot about what was happening and what, what, how it was going to be divided out. You know, how do you set those priorities and all that stuff. So I guess I would have liked to have known that. So, again, I could communicate that among my community. But do you think, I mean, that's a, that's $2 million a year to take care of local roads that are correct. They needed help. (laughs) I was going to say, I think from what I've heard you say so far, you do think there are a lot of neighborhoods that do need that help. Definitely. So, um, but but it's uh, what you're saying is you don't have enough information to know how you would have voted at that time. Correct. Okay. There's something else I I found on your website that I would like to uh, ask you about. You list uh, one of your uh, uh, responsibilities as serving. As a, and this is a quote, a committeeman for the Convention of the States. Correct. I know what the Convention of the States is. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, it, it, what, what its goals are. Explain to the audience what the Convention of the States is all about. Well, the idea of the con- Convention of the States is to um, gain support from the senators um, within each of the states to say, yes, we'll support this. And what they want to be able to do is to um, represent the people of the state. Um, get the states to reorganize and say that you know, we're going to support the Constitution. Um, we want to help other states that aren't coming on board. Um, they want to come back and, and just try and unite the states together as a united nation once again. Well, as I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, this uh, this is part of the Constitution where if you – as we are currently constituted with the number of states we have, if 38 states agree, basically there would be a conve- – there would be a convention, convention to completely rewrite the Constitution, correct? correct? It, would, it would go start from scratch, and we could have an entirely different Constitution. You think that's a good idea? Uh, I think there needs to be some limiters on that. I think we would need to identify um, through input, obviously, from the communities. It gets a lot bigger branch than that. And understand what uh, what are the concerns. And it cannot be a blanket. We're going to go get rid of Amendment 2 or you know any of those things. It can't just be all-out you know, it should be, okay, th- this is working well. There's a lot of concerns around this issue. And it needs to be a cross-functional group, you know, very diverse group, um, to be able to openly talk about it um, and have discussions and then, you know, reach uh, um, at least a collaboration you know, of some sort, uh, which is obviously very difficult right now for our Congress. But, you know, people are going to have to step out of their labels 
and focus on what are the true needs, what are the true issues. I mean, things have changed since the Constitution was written, and um, I think things need to be evaluated. I don't know that it all needs to be changed. I, I don't believe it does. There's still a lot of very good things that are in it. Um, finding fathers. I mean, the stuff that Abraham Lincoln said and quoted in George Washington. I mean, all of them. They they said some really strong, powerful things that are still true today. Well, with that, I'll give you a chance here at the very end to just give your elevator speech. You know, I'm let's say I'm one of your constituents. I'm preparing to vote in the Republican primary May the seventh, and I say, uh, Paula Hedgel, would you please explain to me why I should vote for you? So, what what is your answer? Uh, well, I'm a candidate for Fisher City Council District 1, um, so I want to represent the people within my community. I have 31 years of experience with General Motors um, across many states. Um, moved 11 times. I've lived in a lot of communities, and I understand um, we're in a kind of a complicated area because we have new development, old development, and the plan wasn't up front for this to turn into this wonderful community that it is today. It has grown exponentially. I, um, so I think it's important for us to communicate uh, both ways, to keep the community involved, to listen to what your concerns are. And if you elect me uh, for this position, uh, I will represent you. I believe in servant leadership, and I'm here for that reason only. Paula Hudgel is a candidate for Fisher City Council. It has two different names. It's called uh, it's called Council Southeast. District One. It's also called Southeast District, Correct. but it's the same district. Either way you uh, describe it. Paula Hudgel, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. My thanks to Paula Hudgel for joining me on the podcast. Remember, Election Day is Tuesday, May seventh. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. Thank you.